And just the message this, this morning that I just want to share is, is something that I've just been just reminded of. It's something that I've just been, yeah, just once again, just been reminded of the past couple of seven weeks uh, in terms of my, my work, in terms of industry. We've just gone through a, I'll use the word, interesting season the past seven weeks. And I've just been reminded of just, you know, what, what our character should be in the midst of trouble. That's just something that really God has been reminding me of this past couple of, of seven weeks. And it's something that I'd just love to spend time um, as a church this morning as we just go through it. Character in the midst of trouble. And we're going to read from the book of 1 Samuel um, chapter 30. But just before we read 1 Samuel chapter 30, I just felt that it makes sense to give a bit of context. Otherwise, you're just going to be like, you know, maybe some of you guys are sitting here thinking, wait, is there a book called Samuel in the, in the, in the Bible? Yes, there is a book called Samuel. So let me try and, and just summarize five books in about five minutes. So quickly, just to recap, if we look at the book of Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, what we see there is God has saved the Israelites from slavery. He's saved them from the slavery in, in Egypt. And then um, the Israelites find themselves in the wilderness for 40 years. And then as they find themselves in the wilderness for 40 years, I mean, I guess the, the big theme there is God creates a covenant with the Israelites. And simply the covenant is quite a simple one. He simply says, um, you are my people, um, obey my commands, and the fruits of you obeying my commands, you will be blessed. So if you look at Deuteronomy 28, it talks about this beautiful scripture where he says, your people will be blessed, your towns will be blessed, your, your crops will be blessed. And then he says, everywhere you go and whatever you do, you will be blessed. That's pretty much the theme of what we see in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. Then we jump onto the book of Joshua. Um, that same group of people are then led into the promised land through the guidance of Joshua. And, the whole, and, and pretty much the whole point of the book of Joshua, we just see God's hand of provision as they are able to, to conquer and take the land that they have been promised by God. That's pretty much what we see in the book of Joshua. But when we get towards the end of the book of Joshua, what, what, what basically happens there is as much as they're in the promised land, the guys get a little bit confused. Yes, they, they follow God, but at the same time, they look over their neighbors and they see, how oh, hey, my neighbors have idols. Maybe I should also dabble and also worship idols. And then towards the end of Joshua, Joshua 24, Joshua reminds the people, he says, you yourself have seen, remember the covenant that God made you know, in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, remember that God has been faithful. Look, he's given us the land that he has promised. So this day you choose, you choose. You've seen he's been, he's been faithful, but you have to make a choice yourself. Are you going to follow idols or are you going to follow God who is faithful? And then there's that beautiful verse that pretty much maybe most people know where he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then as we conclude the book of Joshua, it talks about how Joshua passes on and then that entire generation that had personally seen the hand of God, that entire generation passes on. Then now we jump into the book of Judges. Now before I talk about the book of Judges, please, if there's a new believer and, you, and the person is like, what's the first book I need to read? Please do not recommend the book of Judges. Because if you read the book out of context, I'm telling you, people are going to run away from the faith. But anyway, the whole point of the book of Judges, and once again, I'm going to take us back to Exodus. There was a covenant that says, you are my people, um, obey me, and the fruit of that is you will be blessed. 
But now in the book of Judges, it shows us what happened when people actually ran away from that covenant. So what happens in the book of Judges is you see just utter moral chaos. I mean, there's just some dodge stuff that's happening. But the whole point is it's showing you that when people live life, life absent of God's presence, obviously people are wicked, people are evil. And once again, and, and if you look at the book of Judges, there's this theme that actually underlies throughout the book of Judges. Every time a judge would come up, so when I say judge, don't think court judge. Think like a tribal leader, but they were called judge, but think of it as a tribal leader. And every time a judge would step up, they would try and rally the people. There will be a little bit of momentum, but the momentum will fade away and people will turn back to wickedness. And as you read the book, it started off, as the judge came, they were, they were like, good judges, and then they'll fall, good judges, and they'll fall. And then later on, they were okay, and then they were okay judges. Then later on, they were bad judges. And then towards the end of the book, they were worst judges. And then towards the end of judges, you couldn't even tell between the judge and that's how wicked they were. And the theme there was, the people in Israel did whatever they saw fit because there was no king. Now, then when we jump into the book of 1 Samuel, which is what we're reading this morning, remember the, the whole point of Judges is it, it, it shows you what a nation or what people are capable of if there is no faithful leader to lead people. Now, the book of 1 Samuel then answers that question. The book of Samuel then answers, okay, these people went through a season where they were bad judges or bad tribal leaders, then in the book of 1 Samuel, we see then what, what, what was God's plan or what did God do to actually raise faithful leaders to lead the people of Israel. And in the book of Samuel, we see two kings that are actually raised up. We first see King Saul, and then later on, we see um, God raise up um, David. But then also the reason why um, there's actually two kings or there's two people in this book of 1 Samuel once again, it gives you a beautiful picture to actually do a character study of Saul in comparison to David. And just the scripture that we're reading today is just a specific scripture that we're reading as we, as, and we're just going to be spending time and looking at David's character. So this, that's just a bit of context as, to, as, as, as we read um, the scripture this morning. So I'll be reading from 1 Samuel 30, and I'll just read from verse 1 to 6. It says, three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their town of Ziklag, they found the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and Ziklag. They had crushed Ziklag and burnt it to the ground. They had carried off the women and the children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they couldn't weep no more. I mean, you can imagine how hectic it is. You know, you, you're far away from home. You come back and everything that you own, and including your family, is taken away. And then if you jump to verse 6, it says, David was in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began to talk of stoning him. But David found strength in the Lord his God. So we see how, once again, David, were, David and his men, there was about 600 in total, were out of town, and then they had to come back. And then when they come back, we see, unfortunately, they come back to emptiness. They come back to smoke. They come back to fire. Anything, everything that they hold dear was basically taken away from them. But then we see some interesting um, perspective here, or we see two interesting responses to this situation. If we look at the men that were with David, their response was they were, they were very bitter, they were very angry, and I guess rightfully so, because, I mean, you know, your loved ones have been taken. 
But then their response was, or their frustration that they had, they're saying, okay, we need to take this frustration out of, to someone, and they wanted to take their frustration towards David by trying to stone him. But you see David's reaction. Remember, David also had lost property. David also had lost his family. But we see how, as, as opposed to how the other men had reacted, David finds strength in the Lord. And the first concept I just want to share, or the first character I wanted to just talk to us this morning is, what does it mean to find strength in the Lord? What does it mean to find strength in the Lord? I mean, growing up, I remember I used to sing songs like, you know, the joy of the Lord is my strength. But what does that exactly mean? I mean, if we don't necessarily explain this, we might think, and I know this is probably quite a silly example, you know, growing up, I'd watch a lot of cartoons, you know, like Popeye, you know, for him to get strength, he had to eat like a lot of spinach, and then he would have a lot of strength. Some of you people maybe watch Dragon Ball Z, I don't know. And then, you know, the guys had to eat like a senzu bean, and then if they ate that bean, they found the strength that they needed. Some of you maybe grew up watching a lot of um, action movies, and I mean, you associated the Eye of the Tiger, you know that song, Eye of the Tiger, to strength? Because every time that song played, the guy will be in the gym doing push-ups, and after that, he has the strength to, you know, kick the bad guy. But that's not how we find strength in God. If you actually look at the heart of what it means to, to find strength in God, actually finding strength in God is the result of an of a inner relationship with him. Finding strength in God is the result of our inner relationship with God. Our inner relationship, um, our inner relationship or revelation is a direct result to whether or not we find strength um, from our God. And just a couple of scriptures just to show you the heart of David every time he was in distress. Uh, Psalms 56, 3 to 4, this is David. He says, but when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. I praise God for what he has promised. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? Why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? Psalms 121, one, verse 1 to 2 says, I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and earth. So David knew God, and in terms of how he found strength in God, we see how the inward strength was cultivated through proximity with God in prayer. The inward relationship that David had with God was cultivated by proximity with prayer. And the reason why I'm addressing this is, yes, now that we understand that finding strength in God is the result of the relationship that we have with him, so for us to cultivate the relationship, we need to cultivate it by proximity with prayer. Proximity just means nearness. Proximity means closeness. The reason why I'm stressing this point of, of closeness or proximity, so just before this, this uh, seven-week season that we went through, um, as a business or as, as an industry. So prior to that, what would happen is, so my son Levi had picked up that, okay, he spends time with granny, and then for some reason, mom picks him up, and then for some reason, he goes home and he has a nap, and then out of nowhere, dad is there. So he had picked up that trail. So what would happen is, he would, he would be smart. After his afternoon nap, he would wait by the window, and a couple of moments, daddy's home. I mean, that's literally the, 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 the lifestyle or the, the trend that he picked up. So every time I came home, I get out of the car, I you know, open the garage door, there's my boy, he's waiting for me, he's excited, life's good. I open the door, I pick him up, and it's happiness for days. That was my life before the seven weeks. Then what happened was, 
when we went through the season as a business, I started working long hours and I wasn't getting home on time. I remember my wife actually texted me something and she said, hey, you know, your son is waiting for you, but, you know, I, I wasn't home. And, you know, one week of him waiting, dad wasn't coming. He eventually stopped waiting for dad. And when he went home, he just obviously spent time with mom. Then last week, this past Monday, um, luckily, you know, as the season started to die down, I started going home on time. And, uh, you know, so I walked home, I looked at my boy, and he was excited. He would be excited to see me. Like, he'd get his fix, he will see me, and say, oh, daddy's home, I'm excited. And then he'd turn back to mom. When he cried, I'd be like, okay, come to me, son, I can, I can hold you. And then he'd come to me, but then he'd push away, and then he'd go to mom. And then it got to a point where he even gave me, I don't know if you know this, but he gave me like an up-down. There was a point he was crying and I'm trying to hold him and he gives me an up-down. I'm thinking, wow. But here's the point. And I know it's such a simple example, but it's, it's a simple example of my, myself and my son, Levi, of what happened in a space of six weeks. He moved from dad is like the guy that's my hero, my friend, the guy that holds me to who's this guy that comes home part-time? And that just happened in six weeks. What do you think happens to us when we do the same thing with our own creator where we are not, you know, um, cultivating our proximity with him through prayer? I'm not saying God is going to abandon us. I don't think he will abandon us. But I think what happens is we forget who he is. And when we forget who he is, we then live lives where we, 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 we panicking. We live lives where we worry some because we, we've lost the connection of us being able to find strength in God. And I think that's the first concept I just wanted to leave you with. It's something that was, um, that I felt challenged with this past week. And church, this morning, allow me to extend that challenge to you, you know, as to ask the question, how is your relationship with our Father through prayer? Because us finding strength is a direct relationship in terms of how our relationship is with him on the inside. So David, in his brokenness, turns to the Lord Even in the midst of catastrophe, his communion with God through prayer fortified his faith and stabilized his confidence. So church, the first thing that we see there is everything that we do or everything that, or or, or the walks that we have in our lives, we need to find strength in God. But obviously we have a responsibility to cultivate this relationship through prayer. And the second thing that we see in the scripture of uh, 1 Samuel verse 30 is, God has put the right people in our path, even in seasons of trouble. God has put the right people in our path, even in the seasons of trouble. As we continue reading the the scripture of Samuel, now we're going to jump to verse 11. It says, so what had happened there, maybe sorry, just a bit of context. So obviously the, the scripture says, David finds strength in God. So then what happens is he prays to God. He says, God, must I pursue them? God says, Go for it, pursue them, you will find them. Then David sets out to pursue um, these people that had raided his camp. So it says, along the way, they found an Egyptian man in a field and brought him to David. They gave him some bread to eat and water to drink. They also gave him part of a fig cake and two clusters of raisins, for he hadn't had anything to eat or drink for three days and three nights. Before long, his strength returned. Before long, his strength returned. To whom do you belong and where do you come from? David asked him. I am an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite, he replied. My master abandoned me three days ago because I was sick. We were on our way back from raiding 
the Carathites in Negev, the territory of Judah, and the land of Caleb, and we had just burnt Ziklag. Will you lead me to this band of raiders? David asked. The young man replied, if you take an oath in God's name that you will not kill me or give me back to my master, then I will guide you to them. Quite beautiful, isn't it? I mean, once again, you come back home, home is raided, you're not trying to track down the people that have done this horrible thing, and then for some reason, God puts the right person at the right time in front of you. This reminds me of a, of a personal story. It's pro- probably a bit different to this, but I remember when I came to Richards Bay, um, I was here for, for an interview in terms of where I work at the coal terminal, and uh, when I got to Richards Bay, so in my mind, um, I was like, okay, I need to get a cab that will take me to the, to, to the interview area. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, I'll just get a reputable um, cab. So for me, in my mind, if you have like stickers outside, you're reputable. If you don't have stickers, you dodge. That was what's in my mind. So I remember when I was walking, uh, I don't know what gate it is, in, uh, but that pick and pay door by boardwalk, that one. I don't know whether it's gate one or two, whatever. But anyway, so I remember I was walking towards there and I could see the reputable cab as per my definition. And then as I got close, all the reputable cabs left. So what was left was the cabs I considered not reputable. Not that I was right, I was wrong, but I'm just taking you through the process um, of my mind. So as the reputable cabs left, there were a couple of cabs left, you know, no stickers, nothing. And I was running late for my interview. And I remember I took a chance, there was this one guy, I said, hey, I have an interview at the call terminal, will you be able to, to assist? So the guy... We get in the cab. He says, okay, give me one moment. He took me to Phil and Flay. Then I didn't even know what Phil and Flay, I didn't even know there was a place called Phil and Flay, but all I just saw was just, we're just traveling to like this place, and then I was confused. But anyway, he goes home. He had a port access card, and then he was able to drop me off right at the gate of the coal terminal. Now, for some of you, you might be thinking, why is that significant? Well, if I had taken most cabs, most cabs aren't allowed to enter the port. So what would have happened is, if I had went for the cabs I wanted at that point in time, they would have dropped me off at the port gate. The port gate is roughly another 10 kilometers away from actually the coal terminal. Now imagine this guy who, in my mind, I thought is a Dodge dude, I don't want to be in this cab, the car was falling apart, happened to be the guy that had a port access gate that took me straight into uh, you know, the coal terminal for an interview. And funny enough, 10 years later, the guy works at the coal terminal, and I had a privilege to say, hey, do you remember me 10 years ago? And we actually, till to this day, work well together. The point I'm trying to make is it's easy to see people when life is fine. It's easy to see people when life is great. But when we are under trouble, when we are under stress, when life just doesn't seem to make sense, do we still have the character to see what God is doing? Do we still have the character to be able to see the right people that God has put in front of us. So how we treat people while we ourselves are faced with challenges shows a godly character. I mean, on their way to rescue their family, they meet this Egyptian slave, and he becomes arguably one of the most important person where he leads David and his men to the Amalekites um, army. And I mean, here's the reality. I'm sure I mean, David with the 600 men, I'm sure it's easy to see this guy on the side of the road, dying, sick. It's easy to just walk past. But there's something about David that says, hey, we need to talk to this man. And we should never, ever look down upon a person, and it shows strong character to help someone while we ourselves need help. 
This is a strong encouragement to love people, show compassion. The Egyptian became God's instrument of direction to lead David and his army to the enemy camp. That's the second thing I wanted to just challenge us this morning. Is God always puts the right people in the right place. But I think the differentiator is when life is great, we see them. But when life isn't so great, I think we tend to pass them. And I think that's my challenge to say in whatever season we find ourselves in, we need to lift up our head and see what God is doing in front of us. Because the right person to help you in the season that you're in, God is already placed. We just need to see them. And then lastly, in terms of what we see from a character point of view from David, is we are called to share whatever God has blessed us with. So then what happens is just to come back to the story, remember once again, the guys were, the camps were raided, and then David and the 600 men pursue this, this people, and as they pursue this people, they find this Egyptian slave, and this Egyptian slave is like, okay, fine, I'll be able to help you. But then what happens in the scripture is the 600 men, out of the 600 men, 200 men were like, hey, man, we, we're tired. Because what had happened is they had traveled 50 kilometers from where they were to come back to camp. Now you come back to camp, now you know to once again track these people that had raided your camp. So 200 of the 200 men were tired. They said, David, we can't make it, we're exhausted. So David then carries on this pursuit with only 400 men. And then they attack these guys. And then what happens is in 1 Samuel 30, verse 23, so they attack the Amalekites. They get back their families. They get back everything that was taken. So nothing was actually lost. But then now what happens is, as they return back to the 200 men, a couple of guys were like, "Uh uh-uh, the plunder and the gold that we have, there's 200 guys that didn't come. No, no, just give them their kids. Give them their wives. We keep the plunder. And this is what David says in 1 Samuel 30, uh, verse 23. It says, David replied, No, my brothers, you must not do that with what the Lord has given us. He has protected us and delivered, and delivered it into our hands. And, uh, oh, sorry. He has protected us and delivered into our hands the raiding party that came against us. And then as you can read the scripture, he talks about how we share and we share alike. And the reason why I'm sharing this is when I started reading the scripture, it spoke about how when the guys were bitter, when the guys were frustrated, you know, these are the guys that wanted to stone him. Now, can you imagine if from the 200 lot, most of those guys were the ones that wanted to stone him? I mean, David would be well within his right when he got the treasure to say, "Uh uh-uh, you guys were weird, you guys wanted to backstab me, you guys wanted to kill me, but David doesn't look at that. Because we can see this beautiful character of David where he understands or he has a revelation that whatever I have does not belong to me. Whatever victory we have is not out of our own strength. The victory that we have comes from God and God alone. So the spoils that we have, who am I to keep it to myself? I have a responsibility for us to share and share alike. So the last thing there that I just wanted to challenge us is once again, it is easy to share our possessions, it is easy to share our time, whatever you may name it, when life is good. But do we have the same attitude when we're busy, when, 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 uh, when the finances are not as, as, as great as they should be? Are we still having the same attitude to give? Do we still have the same attitude to share? In church, this morning, 
these three things were something that, once again, God challenged me a lot on this past couple of seven weeks as we went through the season at work. And I felt this morning I'd love to challenge this with you. That once again, one, church, we need to be finding strength in God. But then obviously we understand that for us to find the strength we need in God, that's cultivated through our relationship with him through prayer. And then number two, do we have the courage in the midst of trouble to be able to see the right people that God has put in front of us? And then lastly, once again, do we still have the courage to be able to share to be able to, to, to give what we can give, understanding that God is the source of our provision. And that's the challenge I'd love to leave us with this morning. But then just before I close, I mean, the question you might be asking is then, you know, what do we do? How do we go forward? You know, yes, it's great information. How do we go forward? The one thing I love about the New Testament, if you look at Hebrews 12, it talks about if, if we're struggling or if we're going through challenges, it says, strip off everything that weighs us down and then fix your eyes on Jesus because he is the, he's the, he's the perfectioner and he's the author, he's the champion of our faith. So if that's the case, can I just look at Jesus this morning and let's look at what we just learned in the book of 1 Samuel and let's apply that to Jesus this morning because if the Bible says we need to look to Jesus, then as we look to Jesus, we are able to, to restore um, the relationship we're supposed to have with our Father in our hearts. So just a bit of context. If we're looking at Jesus this morning, um, Jesus came down to earth because you know, none of us had the power, none of us had the ability to be able to eternally save ourselves from sin. So God then sent Jesus, and his main mission was for him to die on the cross so that as we believe in him, we could have, have eternal life. But there's this beautiful scripture in Luke 22, verse 41 to 43. Now, this is in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is before um, the next day, or this is the night before um, he got crucified. It says, it says, he walked away about a stone throw, about a stone throw, stone's throw, and knelt down and prayed. Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And I love this verse. It says, then the angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. I mean, just think about that for a second. Jesus needed strengthening. Jesus needed strengthening. But he was strengthened because he had a good relationship with the Father. If Jesus himself needed strengthening, I need strengthening. I don't know about you, but I definitely need strengthening. And the reason why I'm highlighting the scripture very specifically is the result of that strengthening led Christ to the cross. And leading of Christ to the cross gave us an opportunity by trusting and believing in him we have life and life eternal. By trusting in Jesus, we have life and life eternal. So then the question or the answer to what I asked earlier on is, where do we go? What is the starting point? The starting point is not a 10-step process. The starting point is going back to the beginning, giving Jesus the credit that he deserves, that he is our savior, giving Jesus the credit that he deserves, that he is our Lord. And from that point, we have to make a decision every day of our lives. You know, just like how Joshua asked the guys, you need to choose. Are you going to choose the idols or are you going to choose God? 
we have a responsibility, church. If maybe that's where you're sitting now and your relationship with God is not where it's supposed to be, the only thing you need to do once again is once again, one, do you still believe in, in Jesus? I mean, that's a question we need to ask ourselves because if we truly believe in him, we would be spending time with him in fellowship. We'll be spending time with him in prayer. So we need to ask ourselves the question, do we still believe in Christ? Do we still trust in Christ? And if the answer is yes, and here's my challenge for you this morning, then as we wake up every day of our lives, as we live our lives, we need to make a choice to make him Lord. I think it's easy to make Jesus Savior because it's nice. Yes, Lord, I believe John 3, 16 but it's harder to choose him as Lord every day of our lives. And that is the challenge that I leave for us this morning. May we stand, please. Father, I come before you this morning and just my humble request for each and every one of us this morning It's just for a reconciliation with you through prayer. That is my humble request for you this morning, our dear Heavenly Father. Father, as we have seen in your word, that us being close to you through prayer is not a luxury, but it's more a necessity. It has to be a lifestyle. And Father, for those where that that, that relationship has, has drifted or maybe that relationship is non-existent. Father, I just pray through your gracious hand, Father, that you just soften up our hearts this morning. You, you allow us, you help us to repent so that we are able to live a life where Christ is our Savior and Christ is our Lord. Not an optional extra, but he is our Savior and he is our Lord. And Father, I just pray for a joy. Father, I pray that as, 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 as Christ follow us, that we have a joy. Father, I pray that we delight in spending time in prayer with you, our dear Heavenly Father, so that we can cultivate this inward relationship with you. And Father, as we cultivate this inward relationship with you, Father, we are able to find strength in you through, through trouble. Father, we are able to, to see what you are doing in the midst of trouble. We are able to live a generous life regardless of whatever is around us. And Father, this morning we give you all the glory. We give you all the praise. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.